0: Halliburton was stumped, Malika. Uh, the league is stunned at this trade. First hand for three. Halliburton. Oh! What a great read. Now he's going to steal. Cortez oh. throws it down. There's Turner. Just back in. Gets his own board. Going strong. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Corners Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. I am not underwater, even though it may sound like it. I'm in a hotel room in Missouri right now. So, I mean, you tell me what's what's better or worse. But, um, yeah, I don't have my mic with me. I was not prepared for this. Uh, but Caitlin and I are here, Caitlin Cooper and I are here to, uh, to break down and talk about some of the first days of free agency and what that's looked like for the Pacers. Uh, Caitlin, how are you doing today?
1: doing well a little bit tired and weary from the last 24 hours in Pacers land but I do want to point out that we are recording this at 9:35 a.m. on Saturday in case something else were to pop up and we didn't talk about it that's why.
0: Yes, that's a, that's a great way to put it. Um yeah, I think I mean the first thing we can dive into uh Malcolm Brogdon traded to the Boston Celtics. I do want to say first and foremost like i love that for the Celtics um, in terms of what they bring. I do think you, you put out a really good tweet on this yesterday before I could like the framing of him is like, this is the point guard that they've been looking for. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't know about that. Like I actually had multiple friends in a, in a, in a group team. I'm in, uh, you said um, that thing about him being a 1.75. So it was like, I couldn't have framed it any better. Um, so yeah, it's, Uh, But regardless, I mean, I guess the first thing I want to ask you, what were your your thoughts as soon as the trade came through? Because I don't want to say it was unexpected, but the timing felt unexpected.
1: Yeah, I was actually planning to um, publish my summer league piece that will be coming up out later today in a shameless plug that I've now now dropped. But um, I wasn't expecting any news yesterday. I kind of felt like because of the Kevin Durant situation that that some teams might be, you know, a little bit hesitant to move. And as it turned out, there was several – you know, kind of big time trades yesterday between Brogdon and, and Rudy Gobert. I do kind of wonder, like, we're just looking at this from a value standpoint, which isn't necessarily how you and I always cover things, but they get five players back in return with, you know, Aaron Neesmith being the main, um, among the players, probably the person that most people are interested in, along with Daniel Tice, who has been a somewhat serviceable big. Also get Boston's draft pick, which if we're being honest, you know. Yeah they just went to the NBA finals and they just got a pretty good player to help them either return or still be really competitive next year. Not going to be a great pick. I mean, all things considered, I think you come out of it feeling pretty, pretty good in the sense that you're going to have three first round picks next year. And you did get, you know, rebuilding teams can take flyers on young players who might blossom and bloom in a different environment. And maybe you flip Daniel Tice later, maybe you play him. I don't know, but, I did find myself when I looked at that trade and this is going to seem really counterintuitive, but what happens if they don't, if they would not have signed him to an extension at the beginning of the year? Like I I just, most of the time we look at, we look at contracts and when a player's in an expiring situation, like what miles is going to be in, we tend to think, you know, oh, that team, maybe they waited too long that there, there's only one year left teams aren't going to want to just, you know, take a chance on that player. They're going to lowball them. But in Brogdon's case, because of what his injury history has been, there was almost more risk for teams taking him because they're going to be on the hook for three more years, depending upon how healthy he may, he, he ends up being. So I guess my thought process kind of was like when the Pacers signed him to that deal, they clearly were, you know, at least planning on him being a centerpiece of the team, especially given what, the language was around that with talking about him and his importance as a leader and, and what else was presented when he signed it. Like, I just really wonder if they thought to themselves, Hey, if we need to trade him, we're going to be happy if we get Aaron Neesmith potentially a second round pick, that's going to be dangerously close to the second round and then four other players who may or may not be on the roster.
0: Yeah. Um I don't remember who reported it, but somebody, it might've been a woman. I can't remember off the top of my head or it might've been, it's, it's very difficult to, to keep everything in mind with the rumor monitoring, but uh, it was pushed that, that Daniel Thice might get flipped uh, before things are over, which would make sense in my head. Um, I do want, not saying caution people sounds unfair, but I did see a lot of excitement about Aaron Neesmith yesterday. And like, I think there needs to be a little bit of a cooling on that. I don't know what your thoughts are on him coming in, uh, but like he really struggled this last year. Um, his... Big swing skill coming in was shooting. He shot really well at Vanderbilt, but the volume was very minimal. I think he took, like, 60 attempts. He was injured for part of the season there. Um, And his shot really was just not there for him last year. And there's just, you know, attacking off closeouts has been an adventure for him. Uh, There's stuff to be interested by, but I think in terms of, like, somebody who is going to, quote-unquote, be like a franchise building block. And not that, you know, I'm not trying to make it all about that, but I did see there were some people getting excited about that, and I do think, like, just to provide some levity there, like, there's there's a reason that Boston is pretty comfortable involving Vintner right now.
1: Yeah, let's just dive into him a little bit, if that's okay with you. I yeah, watched sure. I watched some minutes of him last night trying to – because a lot of the games – some of it's just garbage time with him because of what their roster construction was. Obviously it's kind of like what happens with Jalen Smith and Phoenix. When you're a contending team, that guy's not going to get a lot of minutes unless somebody else is out or, you know, there's foul trouble or whatever else. So I tried to watch some of the games when he would have been playing during, you know, the regular portion of the game and not just at the end. And I kind of feel like defensively he has a tendency to go into crash mode and his chaos yeah. for both reasons, good and bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like if you watch the game, I think it was game one against the Heat, he got some actual real playing time in the Eastern Conference Finals. And he has like this tremendous play where he stops a one-on-four fast break all by himself. Like gets back and as well play the cat and mouse game, gets a block, and it's like, whoa, you know, this this dude's really impressive. And then a few possessions later, you can watch him and he's just like wildly coming off the weak side, trying to swat at blocks or like tagging when he doesn't necessarily need to. And then like his on-ball defense, like just as an example, I was watching him defend Raul Neto in another game where he had played bigger minutes against the Wizards late in the game. And like Neto put him on skis and like sent him flying for like five feet. So like, I think that there's a lot of boom or bust on the defensive end of the floor for him. And I think that you hit the nail on the head with the shot. Like I looked this up on Synergy before we hopped on. 54% of his usage was on spot-up attempts, and he shot 32% in spot-up situations. Um, Only eight possessions as the pick-and-roll ball handler, 31% on jump shots, and 28% on guarded jump shots. And I feel like a lot of times when I was watching him, he's still going to need to grow at finding the passing window. Like, there's times where he's kind of behind his defender, and because he hops into the catch, he's kind of a hop-step shooter. It's like he waits to the last second to get into the window. Like Tatum will be driving down the lane. Tatum will be up in the air to make the pass. And then, oh, now I'm going to move into the corner. And if he doesn't get that hop step timed, it affects his release a little bit. So on the contested ones, you know, clearly 28% in those situations. He has some struggles that he's going to have to adjust. Like, I guess my main point would be, I don't think all of this is just a matter of him being on a team or the opportunity wasn't consistent i think that will help and there's a chance that you know with more reps some of this comes around and work over the summer but there's also just some hiccups in his game that he's gonna have to correct because he can attack a closeout but like i don't know much else of what he does besides like spot up and transition because his left hand like he basically can't dribble or finish with his left hand like in situations where he does get forced to his left he inside hands a lot of those shots if he gets there or he has to do kind of, you know, the fake spin, come back to get to his right when he does get into the lane because he, he can't leverage with his shoulder to get to a floater or, you know, some other stuff like that. So, I mean, it's an interesting player. Again, this is what rebuilding teams do. They, they take guys and hope that, I mean, it's kind of what the Pacers have been doing for a lot of years now, take the unloved and hope that they can foster that growth and try to get a little bit more out of the person. Like I said, we did just see them do that with Jalen Smith to a certain extent. But I do agree with you. I think that there probably needs to be a little bit of caution there.
0: Yeah, definitely. But on the other hand, a wing. There's a wing, Caitlin.
1: There is, but like this is yeah, another buddy. part that, that I want to talk about because of what I just said. Like, most of what he does is, is pretty limited to being a shooter, a, yeah. a shooter in theory. And I mean he's six six and under. <laughs> Look how many players the Pacers now have who are like quote-unquote, off-ball shooting specialist type guys who are 6'6 six, six and under. So they have Neesmith, they have Buddy Heald, they have Dwayne Washington, they have Matherin, they have Duarte. Like, I'm not entirely sure exactly where, if his opportunity, if his if the pathway to him having a consistent opportunity is there, depending upon what else they do.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I'm kind of in the same boat there. I'm not sure what to... Uh what to think about it but i do think like just in terms of like in terms of like you mentioned we normally aren't really the valuation podcast but going there um i mean i w- i don't want to say i wasn't surprised but i mean just based on the way that everything had cycled uh over the past few weeks especially heading up to the draft um like i i wasn't too shocked that this is how i ended up going like a any team that could have taken him in the, you know, like if, if initially when we're talking about a team trading him for a, a, a late lottery pick like Washington, um, obviously I don't think he got mentioned to like Denver or anything like that, but um, like in terms of the teams that actually were looking at adding a, 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 like a, a guard um, and that had a pick that the Pacers wanted to move forward, none of the teams really seemed all that interested in doing it based on the reporting. And then... You know the teams even if they would have been interested still in having Brogdon, um, like like we just mentioned, Washington made that move with Denver. Um the Knicks signing Brunson kind of I want to say nullified their need for 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 Brogdon, but I felt like that was pretty evident. Like they're like, okay, okay. Well like, you know, they've they've had their guy the entire time. Those talks felt like they died down. Um and pretty much any team that's going to be trading for him is a team that has a lot of salary that they need, well, not need to, but can shed. And the pick's not going to be a ton. So I, I ultimately, I wasn't all that surprised by how it ended up playing out.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of the happy middle between what was being reported early on. I mean, there was enough people who suggested <laughs> that number 10 or number 11 might be a thing that that had to have been coming from somewhere. Yeah. I always felt it, when we, when we recorded the rumors podcast, I remember that we talked about it and i said if i'm the knicks i'm not going to do that until i know absolutely for sure that jalen brunson isn't coming and if you're not going to know that until the draft's over so why would you trade the pick now and then on the flip side of that though shortly after those rumors came out all of a sudden it was he's a negative asset that you know you might have to send out something with him which i felt was kind of extreme even given what history history has been so this is kind of the happy middle between those two things and again Like when we look at the Pacers trajectory, I don't think Kevin Pritchard's probably scanning the market with like tons of concern about roster balance. And this is only the first part of free agency. We don't know what else they're going to do yet to try to, you know, hopefully not have their entire roster be like guys who are either six, six and under or centers. But I mean, you got to in this case, you just got to take what the best package is going to be. And I'm fairly confident that's what they did. I mean, sometimes I think we like to react and be like, Oh, that's all portland had to give up for jeremy grant or that's all boston had to give up like i don't think that these executives are stupid like i think they knew what else was out there and this was probably the best way to do it and that's you know why it ended up being what it was so i mean in that sense if cleveland does make the playoffs there is potential where you know this pick is going to be in the 20s that pick we don't know where it's going to land but maybe you take both those picks together and you can move up um, they're obviously going to have their own pick. Like it, it could have been worse. Like this is a, this is a fine yeah. outcome. I just don't think that 12 months ago, if we had looked into a crystal ball and we had seen, Oh, the Indiana Pacers traded Malcolm Brogdon for that, that you would have been satisfied with it. But in real time, knowing what we know now, I think it's fine.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. And I think in uh, not to keep berating the, the direction of the team last year, but I do think it just kind of speaks a little bit more to what if things had picked up sooner and happened sooner. You know, like again, you're not getting yeah. to things play out that way, but it is, it definitely begs the question, um, which also brings up another thing. I don't know if you saw this yesterday. It wasn't a tweeted report, but Woj said on NBA today that the Pacers were fielding calls on Miles Turner. Um, so, I mean, granted, we've heard that for seven years, but just uh, another interesting tidbit, considering that we'd heard some more mixed stuff that he might be staying in Indiana. So, Um, that'll be interesting to follow along with as well.
1: Well, yeah. And let's talk about that because we did have Chad Buchanan on the radio, basically, and local radio, basically saying that, you know, we're not shopping miles Turner. We're happy with what we've had of him for the last seven years and very much presenting the Pacers as if all they've done is just be picking up the phone when other teams have called. Like, I don't know that I'm not in their front office, but I kind of do want to say that if he has informed them that he doesn't plan on signing an extension this off season, or if he, has informed them that he plans on playing out his contract and they're not actively making calls.
0: I would be very, uh, I would
1: kind of be saying that's malpractice. Like I don't, I I mean, I get that you want to maintain leverage when you go on those radio hits, but like, if that's the actuality of this situation, I would have a lot of questions about that. Like, especially because like miles Turner is not Rudy Gobert. Like, let's get that straight. But like, we just watched Rudy Gobert get four first round picks yesterday. Like, yeah. and there's teams that wanted Rudy Gobert and now might be looking for a consolation price. So if you're not calling around to those other teams like Chicago, like, you know, whoever else was in on Rudy and seeing like, Hey, you know, our guy's not going to cost quite that much, but would you be willing to meet us here? I, I would really question what, what you're doing, especially with where the rest of this team is going to be. I mean, we've talked about the miles situation before, um, it's not that I don't think that he can play a little bit better with Tyrese. I think that he can. I think that most of that comes from my faith in Tyrese and what he yeah. can do. But, again, it's kind of like what what just went down with Brogdon. It's just more of a question for me of kind of what's the point. Like, people keep saying, well, if they see how he plays, I'm like, if he's already told him he's not going to sign an extension, then it really doesn't matter how he fits with Tyrese. And if you can get a deal now – then maybe you're not looking at what just happened with Brogdon because we don't, you, you can't predict the future. You don't know for a hundred percent, like throughout miles, career, there's always been a caveat of, Oh, wait, if he when he's not playing with Nate McMillan anymore and he's not just popping to two, Oh, well, when, when Sabonis isn't at the five anymore. Oh, well, when he has a better point guard and like not a lot has changed through some of those changes. Now, all the stars seem to be aligning to a degree, but it's not guaranteed that it will. And the injury stuff isn't guaranteed that it will either. So like, if there's a decent offer out there now, I would probably go ahead and do that.
0: Yeah. Like, and if I there's not, like,
1: then you can continue with your measured approach, but.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. It's uh, it's just kind of, felt like for a while that this isn't even even after the Sabonis trade, it hasn't really felt like saying it not tenable sounds wrong, uh, but like in that vein. Um, so I just I don't see the point in letting it continue to fester through clearly like I think Miles would be better served playing on a team that's trying to win right now. Yeah. He's capable of helping a team that's doing that. And I also like we've talked about this a million times, but especially with re-upping Jalen Smith, which that's a good transition point as well, like this Front court is, I mean, I just still have so many questions about what's happening with Isaiah Jackson. Um, yeah. And I think if you're not trading miles here and really trying to lean into this, re- again, this just a, just a disclaimer, because I'm sure we're going to get this comment. But like, we're not saying the team has to go 10 and 72 process Sixers, but like the team is trying to get better. That's going to happen through the draft and building through player development. If they want to develop their players, there's got to be better pathways for playing time. And more importantly, just allowing Isaiah to play through mistakes, because that's going to be vital for him, Uh, especially if he's going to become an NBA four. But I think that just makes it weirder with Jalen coming back. But I I mean, let's let's transition to that. What were your thoughts on Jalen Smith re-upping?
1: Surprised, but not surprised. Um, When when it was in March, I went on, and we talked about this, but I went on Real GM's podcast with Danny LaRue and talked to him about Jalen's contract situation and asked him, like, do you think it's realistic about, you know, based on what other teams have cap space that the Pacers would be able to retain Jalen? And he essentially said, yeah, I do, because I think it's going to be more about opportunity than necessarily dollars and cents, because he's like, I don't think he's going to get you know, a really lucrative offer. And a lot of times for these types of players, it's more to their benefit to find a situation where they know they're going to have playing time. And he's like, if he thinks that's what the Pacers, he's like, let's say they are going to go into a deeper rebuild. And he thinks there's a pathway to him having consistent playing time. Then he and his agent might determine that that's the best course of action. So I wasn't ruling it out. And especially the fact that Rick Carlisle was playing him as much as he was, led me to believe that the Pacers thought it was at least somewhat reasonable that they would be able to keep him. Otherwise, like, what was the point of that? Like, You're you're benching Goga, who you drafted, and even if you don't think that Goga is a fit for you long term, playing him had at least the potential to make him not necessarily somebody that you just have to ship off with a second round pick to remove from your roster count. And they were a lot of times playing Jalen over him, playing Jalen over him in fourth quarters. So that just led me to think that, you know, they must think that they've scanned around the market to a degree and think we still have a competitive chance here to retain him. But then when the the trade with Daniel Tice happened, then I was a little bit surprised by it. Because unless they think right now that they have a definite way that they're going to be able to flip him for like a second round pick or offload him in some other type of way. Like, let's just look at this front court for a minute. Like they they have they have Miles, they have Jalen now again, they have Daniel Tice, they have Goga. Those are just people who play the five. Then they also have oh, I forgot Isaiah Jackson. So they have five people who technically can play the five, and then they also have O'Shea and Terry Taylor, who, in my opinion, are ideally threes. So like if you're Jalen, you have to be looking at that. Like, unless there was just like unless his market was just dry everywhere else he has to know something that there's going to be opportunity for him because otherwise yeah. I don't know why you would resign on a two-year deal.
0: No, exactly. Which is just what makes it, uh, interesting to say the least. So I think, you know, that just makes me a little bit more concrete that I would like to see them trade miles. Um, and again, not like I, same thing with Malcolm. Like it, they, they've been nothing but professional here. Um, I've enjoyed the hell out of Washington play, like watching miles develop, into the player that he's become has been like one of my joys and falling in love with basketball, like seeing who he was from day one to where he's at now has been awesome. But again, I think it's just timelines are, uh, are getting finicky here. So, um, what else did, oh, oh, also I had to ask you one thing. Uh, how much did you, uh, did you chuckle at uh, Aaron Holiday going to the Hawks to go reunite with David and
1: Um, quite a bit, especially when Justin then later in the day joined him there.
0: Yeah, I was pretty, I, I was, uh, uh, Justin made sense. Like I think that in some ways that that trade made made sense for for the Hawks. But then the I was very surprised that that Eric's not there. But yeah, I was especially considering Nate's attention uh, for not loving to play him. But um, yeah,
1: I did want to do one other thing with Jalen. Like if we just look yeah. at some of these front court pairings, like let's say like I don't. I mean, somebody asked me, they're like, well, do you think Jalen's the starting four? And I was like, well, I don't know if I would necessarily do that, but. I guess maybe, but, um, like if it's, if it's miles and Isaiah Jackson, for instance, I mean, we've talked about this before, but let's, let's pretend all these people are still on their roster. If Isaiah Jackson's out there and part of your reason for retaining miles is because you want to boost his trade value. Miles is, is going to quote unquote, be playing the five. I don't think he's going to be defended by fives. And I think he's like you're not going to run offense through Isaiah Jackson like Demontis Sabonis, but he's going to be the screener, like yeah. because you're not putting Isaiah Jackson in the corner. Like I mean, they'll run some them, some two man screening combinations, but I still think Isaiah is going to be the roller. So I don't know that that's necessarily helping you in your quest to boost up Miles's value. So if we eliminate that one and go back to thinking, okay, then Isaiah Jackson can can back up and be the backup five behind miles, maybe play, you know, smaller bursts at the four with miles. Then if it's Jalen and miles, then I'm kind of asking like, so you just have two people there who are blocking Isaiah Jackson from being a starter. Like, yeah. and, and then if you look at it too, like both of them are a little bit of curious cases being Jalen and miles because they both shoot from three better above the break than they do from the corners. So like for his career, Jalen has shot 26% from the corners, 23% from the corners in Indiana and miles is at 33% in the corners. So like my guess is Jalen would be the off ball floor spacer, but like, I don't think that's, those are like fad, like numbers from the corner. Like if miles is rolling, he's going to be getting some of the Sabonis treatment and that he's going to be seeing another defender in a way that he, really hasn't seen unless Jalen continues to take steps forward as a shooter. So, I mean, I don't really think Goga is going to be in the mix here, but then even if you look at Tice, like if they don't have an offer for him right now, wouldn't you play him? I mean, would you,
0: uh, ideally not. I mean, like, especially... but I think,
1: I think you're going to have to, like, yeah, if no. you want to flip him later on for a second rounder or something, like, I don't necessarily know that that's going to happen. If he's just sitting there doing nothing all year.
0: No, I agree. Like, that's what makes it uh, interesting, to say the least. Um, I'm not. Yeah.
1: And are you playing O'Shea at the three? Uh,
0: Again, I hope not. Like, it's
1: because like my my thing with O'Shea was kind of that, like somebody asked me, they're like, if every single player who's on the roster or under contract is still on the roster next year, who would you start? And this was before the Brogdon trade. And I was like, well, probably Tyrese and Brogdon because if you bench Brogdon, like that's going to be bad for his trade value. And then Mm -hmm. probably, probably Matherin and probably O'Shea and probably Miles. And it's not necessarily because I think O'Shea is a starting caliber four, although I like him. It's more so like he gives you the best chance to actually get miles to be a five defended by fives. O'Shea yeah. shoots like 38% from the corners. You can use him in ghost screen situations. You can use him as a cutter. Like he can just kind of do more four things. So like, if you look at the numbers, I broke them down by the front court situation. And we had talked about this on our Jalen Smith, Goga, Terry Taylor, O'Shea review pod. But like one thing that does work in Jalen's favor here is that every single big when they were at solo five, the defense was not good when they only had one big on the floor. So like Ijax, they gave up 126 points per 100 with Ijax at the five with Goga at the five, they gave up 122 with Jalen at the five, they gave up 120 with miles. They gave up 117 and with Sabonis, which I'm sure is going to raise some eyebrows, 114. So that was actually their best look among those options. And again, these aren't huge minute samples, but like, When Jalen played with Isaiah Jackson, they outscored opponents by nine points per 100 and only gave up 102, I believe, which that's like less than 100 minutes. But I think some of that goes back to the switching scheme. There's so much of the time, like if a big gets switched out to the perimeter and then you're just playing four on four behind them, they didn't have another person to really rotate over and protect the rim to any sort of degree. So some of that might have to do a system. And I don't think that Rick Carlisle is going to want to play, you know, quote unquote, double big all the time. But like that at least provides some sort of a pathway in my mind that it's, it, it might be more workable than, than it seems on paper, but like O'Shea after the trade deadline, when he played at the three, the Pacers got outscored by five points per 100 and gave up um, 119.4 points per 100. So like, it just kind of feels like, I mean, it's kind of like what we said at the trade deadline, like of course you trade for Buddy and Tyrese Halliburton when you have the chance to do it. But in the wake of doing these things, like there's just going to be some people playing in some awkward spots, it feels, or potentially not playing.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. It's just a very awkward roster construction right now, and I'm not really uh, entirely sure what to make of it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we we hit on O'Shea. Let's transition to O'Shea. Um, uh, So where were you at with with how his – Contractor lack thereof went.
1: I was a little bit surprised. I mean, on the one hand, I was thinking back to 2019 when the same situation played out with Edmund Sumner, and both sides agreed to decline the option, and then they resigned him to a multi-year deal with some of those years, I believe, being only partially guaranteed. I kind of expected that's where that was going to go. Yeah. Um, I still think O'Shea has some question marks to answer, some things, you know, to prove. We've talked about it many times. His finishing still needs to get better defensively there's a very like he does things well on defense but there's kind of a niche role that he needs to play to best be optimized on defense um so there are a few hang-ups his shot can still be somewhat inconsistent but i think that he does enough other valuable you know micro contributions and has done enough for you given that he was just like you know not a buyout candidate but that you signed out of the mad ants when you had you know a bad injury situation in the end of the Bjorkren season. And he's far outplayed what my expectations were. And I even liked him because I had seen him with the Mad Ants and I liked him as a player, but I didn't expect him to be what he's been. So kind of my thought process there is that, and I do not know this. I want to be clear to everyone. This is not sourced reporting, but I suspect a bit because of what suggestions there were from various newsbreakers that I kind of wonder if the Pacers weren't preparing to give Miles Bridges an offer sheet. And obviously Miles Bridges made a very, very bad decision that I don't at all condone. But if the Pacers were trying to preserve cap space and felt like, Hey, he really fits and will work with what we're doing. He's another guy who can play both sides of the pick and roll. He can put pressure on the rim. He continues to get better. And we're going to take a chance that, you know, not signing O'Shea today means that we get this other player. I kind of understand it. But if that wasn't in the cards for them, then I don't really get why they didn't do what Houston did with Jay Sean Tate or what they did with Edmund Sumner and just didn't, you know, give him three more years. Cause it seems very much like O'Shea is a guy who wants to be in Indiana um, enjoys Tyrese Halliburton would like to be here long-term. It's not going to be a huge hit. And like, you know, three, four wing guys who can do some of the intangible things that O'Shea does. I I think he will be marketable next summer. Um, I know that Bobby Marks had said that the Pacers will have the opportunity. He'll be extension eligible during the middle of March. So I suppose they can come back to the table. And if O'Shea is willing and doesn't want to just, you know, fully test free agency, they could potentially lock him down before he has the chance to talk to other teams. But, you know, you never know how that's going to reverberate with him and his agent either that, you know, they had a chance that they could have done something now and, and they've basically told him, prove it. I mean, that's that's how this comes off. If I'm O'Shea, that's the way I would take it. Like, you still think that I have more to prove and that I have to show you more. And, you know, you never know how that's going to come across with the player a year later when they hit
0: unrestricted free agency. I know, that's a good point. And I think, too, like, just to add on top of that, like, O'Shea's been a guy, especially over the last few years, has shown a lot of – um I will not say like outlier development and growth, but like very clearly has, has made real strides and improvements in his game. And I think it's fair, especially given his age to think that that's going to continue happening. So yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. I was a little bit surprised by that. I I did wonder too, not like, I, I think I feel pretty much exactly the same, but I did wonder too, like maybe it's him betting on himself, but I, I'd imagine it's probably the earlier than the latter without, again, not having any reporting on that, but.
1: I mean, that I, I suppose that's entirely possible. But um, I did want to just say, too, that, like, since we didn't really talk about Jalen Smith, the player, that I liked a lot of the things that Jalen did toward the back of the season. Um, I don't want people to take it as you and I being like, oh, they shouldn't have re-signed Jalen Smith. Like, clearly from what we had seen, if it's just a choice between he or Goga, Jalen fits what Rick Carlisle wants to do better than Goga. And I think that there's a clearer pathway where, you know, I still don't entirely understand what defensive scheme that you're going to viably play with Goga at this point in time, aside from when he's just like able to play center field and sit in a spot and wind up. Like we saw them try a lot of different pick and roll coverages with him and it's just not fully hitting on any of them. I don't I think it's a little bit overstated to say that, you know, Jalen totally fits the switching scheme because there were some games where that did not go well, if we're being honest, like against Darius Garland in the fourth quarter um, against Anthony Edwards against Terrace Ross in Orlando, um, where he can't play close enough to the ball and then and then guys are getting open threes coming directly off of those switches. But in the sense that he did shoot the three better for, you know, roughly like the first eight games and then it did kind of taper off to 32%, but he can shoot a wider variety of threes. He can, you know, do stuff in the pick and pop or they sometimes would use them to cut into the corner, whether off of an exit screen or just cutting over there. Um, also just, you know, did some spot up shooting. And then I think we had both talked about liking seeing a little bit, him showing a little bit of a touch along the baseline when he attacked the close out a few times and also shooting some trailer threes. Like he did some things that surprised me, um he earned getting another contract it's just my apprehension is more just about them solving you know the rest of the roster to see how all this is going to fit and in part like we have to get on here we need to talk about what they've done so far because a lot of stuff has happened but you know we'll have a bigger picture of this and be able to add more context once we know what the entirety of free agency has been for the team
0: yeah no i i'm I'm right there with you um caitlin was there anything else you want to hit on
1: and I think we've covered the first, you know, roughly 48 hours. Um, just to give people a heads up, we do have stuff posted in Indy Cornrows about, you know, why it was necessary to move on from Brogdon. I did a little brief newser about Jalen Smith last night. Um, my thing about summer league where I kind of do a rundown on the rookies will be up later today. And then anything else that comes up, we'll continue to be there and have stuff posted on and we'll continue potting about um, any other big news that might pop up in the next coming days.
0: Yeah, I think that if I could hit on one last thing, oh, um,
1: yeah.
0: uh, now that I think about it, I am, I, I guess, I don't want to say that it's not like adding, I mean, re-upping Jalen totally changes things, but I am interested to see if the Pacers make some kind of play for DeAndre and considering how much cap space they have right now, and all of uh, how his market has dried up, like, the Pistons, I would say, I mean, based on what they did in the draft, like they feel pretty concretely out of that. Uh, James Edwards III over at The Athletic had reported that, uh, the I think it was the last week that the Pistons were not uh, going to actively pursue any kind of max contracts with Aiden or, or, or Bridges before any of that happened. Um, Charlotte, I mean, I guess is a possibility, but there's, again, like, Everything just has kind of dried up with that. I'm sure that there is some internal stuff with that as well, given everything that has gone on with the Suns um, reportedly and just vibes wise But uh, that is something I am interested to see play out because that those talks have been around for a while.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I'm guessing that I wonder how much of it is that his markets dried up and how much of it is being delayed by Kevin Durant. I mean, Kevin Durant mentions that you know, well, he didn't directly, but reporters through him mentioned that Phoenix and Miami are at the top of his list. Um, The Nets re-signed Claxton. I don't know how much they're going to want to take on Aiton, so that kind of feels like if that's going to happen, that they're going to need a third team involved. So it might just be that it might just be other machinations that are delaying some of that to a little bit of a degree. But I mean, I guess do you want to talk about Aiton and the Pacers just a little bit since you and I haven't really covered that?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I would be like, without question, open to that. Like, I I don't, I don't think that that's something I'd even need to think twice about. Like I, I still view Aiden as somebody who has quite a bit of room to grow. Like he's got, like, I think especially like we talk a lot about like you, you and I have talked a ton about like centers who uh, just because they can shoot, doesn't mean that they're going to get defended like it. Like I do think that they're if, if it really gets leaned into, I think DeAndre Aiden is a guy who could become like the level of shooter at the five spot where defenses do care because um, he has that level of touch. Um, but again, like I think that there's a lot to like about him. There definitely like there are questions for sure, um, but also like he's quite a bit better than Miles right now, in my opinion, already. Like I don't really think that's being out of bounds. I would consider him probably a top 50 player like um, – Still very young, and I I think a lot would depend on on how he uh, he's viewed as fitting with the roster. But like, it, I don't really think that you could necessarily ask for a better complementary big to to who Tyrese Halliburton is. And I think that there's still a a real upside in DeAndre Ayton potentially becoming uh, like a star in his role. No, that sounds like reductive. Like, I, I think like there's, there's a very real world where he becomes like a star level player. I don't think that that's crazy. I mean, he's the number one overall pick, but just in terms of actual like talent acquisition and bringing in players who are good to a team that is trying to get better and doesn't typically have access to getting somebody who is a number one overall pick. Like I think that's kind of a no brainer to me.
1: Yeah. what What's really curious about it is the role that he has in Phoenix and Rick Carlisle system. I have very few questions about how that, about that fit or how that was said. Like, I think Tyrese needs to play with a big, who's going to put pressure on the rim. Yeah. And definitely. when I was looking up these numbers, cause I was just, I was doing some, some rough digging to, in case something would pop up. Um, I think that I had the eight enrolled on like 75, over 70% of his possessions as the screener last year. um, Miles, the last time he played solo five or started at the five without Sabonis in that season, rolled on 29% of his possessions at the screener that season. Now that did go up some this year where it was roughly, you know, like 40%, but he's never rolled on more than 50% of his possessions. And some of that has to do with his own you know, spatial floor processing and reading defenses. But it's also like you could tell midway through the season that they were still trying to work with him on his footwork, getting out of screens, trying to help him work on doing a little jump step so he could get out of it quicker and make himself more available on the roll. That's just not completely fluid with him still. And by yes. comparison, Ayton is one of the best play finishers period at the big position. Um, he very much needs to be fed. I think that he had like, in terms of, his two point conversion, like I think he had one of the highest assisted rates on on two point field goals. Like he he was assisted on more of his twos than like just for instance Isaiah Jackson was. Like yeah. the self-creation stuff, like if, if you look at it in a vacuum outside of the pacers, the self-creation stuff is where I have a little bit of a hold up on thinking he's a That's max right. level player. Yeah, um no, and that. in terms of like he and Miles are very different players, but their weaknesses are somewhat similar. And that both of them lack feel like if, if, if Booker or Chris Paul gets trapped and Aiden has to do something where he has to make a play in space or they force him to be a playmaker that can get pretty dicey, similar to what the same situation is with miles where you're going to need to start seeing him put together more, you know, two dribble combination moves and really reading and having some sort of process when he's making a pass in those situations. And then also like, as people saw in the Dallas series and what can also happen in miles of times, there's just a lot of instances where I want him to play with less finesse and a lot more force. Um, when you're around yeah. in the basket against much smaller Dallas Mavericks players, like there's times where I just want him to dunk. Like you don't need to take a, a floater from six feet, like take one power dribble and go up. Um, I, I was a little bit disappointed by his performance in that series. Not so much because of the switching against Luca. Cause like, let's be honest who for the Phoenix Suns was holding up on switches against Luca? Like that wasn't no just an yeah. that wasn't just an Aiton problem. A lot of that I felt got overstated. But um, Tyrese, in terms of the fact that he isn't somebody who really gets to the rim, um, having a big who can roll to that degree and finish to that degree, and also be somewhat of a lob threat, really opens up how much he can do with deception. And also, like we didn't even talk about, but Aiton's early preparation and conversion on hook shots is know very elite and He's if Tyrese gets balled players. up by length yeah like and if, if Tyrese gets balled up by length then they'd have a viable person to dump the ball down to now I do think he can be a little bit mechanical with some of his post moves and what his counter is like a smart defender like what we saw when the Warriors played Phoenix like if you're Draymond Green and you know that every time DeAndre Ayton's going to take a dribble and try to get over his you know to get to his righty hook shot and if he can't get that then he's going to spin back in the opposite direction left to get to his turnaround. It becomes pretty easy to sit on those two moves, but also there's not a lot of defenders who are going to be able to sit on those two moves. So um, I think that that would be another benefit as well. Like I think the fit's definitely there. I think he would be the best center he's better than any center. The Pacers currently have on the roster, but the other question mark becomes like you have Isaiah Jackson and you're not, I don't think you're playing Aiden and Isaiah Jackson together. So like, at least right now the like via we play miles and Isaiah Jackson don't know that I necessarily completely see that with Aiden but like when you have an ability to upgrade and find a fit with Tyrese maybe you know you probably don't necessarily care but um, yeah and it's like oh
0: sorry go ahead no
1: go no go ahead
0: Well, I was just going to say, I think that's where it comes into – not that I – I mean, I think Isaiah has the chance to be a really good NBA player, but would you be surprised if he ends up, like, even on the level of DeAndre Ayton in his career?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't fully understand. I'm I'm pleased with what we saw of him so far, but, like, somebody asked me a question. I don't completely Mm -hmm. know what Isaiah Jackson is yet. And I do think that we're going to have to see in this – if we read my summer, like – what else can he do besides being the roller and running in transition? Like offensively, what other thing can he do? And like he wasn't necessarily put in a lot of spots to show us what else he could do, which is why I'm kind of intrigued by Summer League. But like, is his role basically like Montrezl Harrell? Like, I, I don't I don't completely know. Um, obviously, he can do more in terms of event creation as a defender than Montrez Harrell. I'm just speaking offensively. Um, we don't know the full picture of that yet. Um, my only other quibble would be that it just seems like Aiton really doesn't like to do the things that he's good at. Like, I mean, he even had interviews at the beginning of the season about reminiscing about his days of playing at the four. Like, it's almost his vice that he doesn't enjoy doing the big man things that he's like actually elite at and would rather, I guess, being other things. So, um, in terms of that's another similarity where Miles obviously. Wasn't super thrilled with his role this season either, only in the reverse situation. So, if you were the Pacers, I think you'd have to have a feel on that because you would want him to be doing the things that he just did with with Chris Paul and Phoenix with Tyrese. So, like, yeah. if that's not something DeAndre Ayton sold on, and it's gonna corrode like this situation has, I don't know if you would want to repeat that. I don't know. I don't know exactly what Ayton's thinking is and why exactly. You know, is it just because they didn't offer him as a max contract? Does it have to do with those specific teammates? But like he has spoken on the record about wanting to play the four and doing more things like fours would do. Um, I don't think that's what the Pacers would want him to do. So there would have to be some sort of reconciliation there too.
0: Yeah, definitely. But I also think too, like just in terms of like quote unquote, does this ruin the rebuild or whatever? I don't view it that way. I think like I think you and I tend to view this differently than but it seems like the fan base, but I don't think adding DeAndre Ayton quote unquote pulls this team out of being, uh, you know, still a rebuilding team. Like I think that there are ways where you have him and you do try Like, I think if if you trade for DeAndre Ayton, the idea to me is you really try and expand him into being like a legitimate face-up threat, like not just somebody who's canning 18 footers, but somebody who's taking, you know, four or five threes a game, really trying to become a legitimate threat from outside and, and figuring out what that means from there on out. Like, um, I don't think that this just automatically makes the team, like, again, like a 35 or 41 team. Like, certainly there are situations where that could play out, but I think the roster is still pretty far away from being that.
1: Yeah, that was my reaction as well. I mean, I don't think that just acquiring him is going to preclude them from getting picked next year. It might actually offer pathways like what you just said, to feed him more than he's ever been fed, to put him in situations that, you know, can let him test some of those multiple dribble combo moves or what he could do as a passer or a hub. Um, I think some of that's shaky right now, but that doesn't matter near as much to a team like the Pacers as it does when you're the exactly. Phoenix Suns and you're trying to get to the NBA finals. So I think there's some benefits, um, there as well. The other thing that you'd have to consider too, is that, you know, with miles, if he's going out, like, think of it this way. Cause people are like, well, is this taking, you know, are you sure are you taking a shortcut? Are you skipping steps here? And wouldn't it just be better for the long-term trajectory? If you just let miles come back and build up his value and then take other assets there and continue to go at a slower pace. Like, I mean, we don't know maybe, but if miles comes back and makes some sort of incremental jump is what you're going to get in return better than Deandre Ayton right now.
0: No. I don't think so. I I don't
1: see any, I don't see, I don't see any way where that happens. Like it, like, and not that the, that the he and Brogdon situations are completely comparable right now. You would only have a chance to potentially sign Aiden because of what his situation with the Phoenix suns is because of what the Kevin Durant situation is. Like, I don't think that you're going to get a draft pick or a player later on next December. That's the equivalent of, of who Aiton is right now. I could be wrong, but I, I just, I really struggle to see that.
0: No, I'm in full agreement. Um, honestly, I think that's a good place to close off if you're ready to.
1: Yep, I'm, I'm good.
0: Perfect. Well, Caitlin, this was fun to everyone listening. A, thank you for listening. B, thank you for putting up with my absolutely terrible recording today. Um, it will be heavily edited. Don't worry, but I appreciate you nonetheless. Thank you to Caitlin, as always, for being awesome. Enjoy your outshine today. And most importantly, have a good rest of your day. And thank you for listening.